That song is an interesting song. Every time I sing it, I'm like, I feel like these are a lot of images that just got blended together. And then I read Revelation, and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much the same thing. So <laughs> we're in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, and I had uh, a kind of a cute, long, weird introduction, and I looked at it. I took one look at it on the page. I was like, that's too many words. So here's my introduction as briefly as I can make it. Today, for matters of structure and convenience, we are going to be studying Ephesians, these last two chapters, no longer by chapter divisions, but by unity of theme. There's a huge section at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 that's about household rules. And I decided instead of breaking that apart, I would teach that as its own lesson. And therefore today, we are in chapter 5, 1 through 21, and chapter 6, 10 through 20. And the point of today's sermon is simple. We need to be filled with light so that we can combat the darkness in the world. As I said, we've been studying Ephesians through this lens of building the household of God. And we've been using building and house metaphors. And uh, I have to admit, a lot of that has just been uh, me trying to make this all fit into a house metaphor. Although certainly Paul does use house metaphors, especially in chapter two and some other building metaphors, but figured we've come this far, why give up now? So uh, we're going to be talking about filling the house with light because here's the thing. When you build a house, it's not done until there's like working power, especially now that it gets dark at like 4.30. That's too early and you need light in your house to see. In the same way, God doesn't just want a structure, he wants a structure that has life and light inside of it. And so today we're going to be talking about building the household of God, filling it with light. And so we're going to be in chapter 5, mostly in a little bit of chapter 6. And the first section I want us to tackle is the first 14 verses. And uh, then there's kind of an addendum on the end of that. And then we'll take on the section in chapter 6. So chapter 5, we'll just read the first seven verses. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 of Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So, as we've been discussing, Ephesians, we're building a house. And God has in mind some plans for his house. In chapter 1, we got a blueprint. And in chapter 4, we had this command to us to be transformed into the image of Christ. And both of these are going to be very crucial in understanding these first six verses. So I've entitled these first six verses, Remember the Pattern. And especially, that is going to mean chapter 1, the blueprint that we saw. Remember, the first thing... In the blueprint, 
uh, in verse four of chapter one is that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And when we get to chapter five, what do we find but that we're supposed to be put away sexual immorality and impurity, filthiness, foolish talking, crude joking, all of these things which are worldly, all of these things which are crude and filthy, we're going to put those things away and instead we're going to be holy and blameless kind of people. But even before that, in verses 1 and 2, we get a reference back to another pattern. And that pattern is the pattern of Christ. So we're told in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And this is a reference back to chapter 4, verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul has called us one to to fill this pattern, to fill this blueprint that God had for us. But he's also called us to be like Christ, to be transformed into the image of Christ. And both of these things are important for us as we are in chapter five. So we're supposed to be imitators of God. We're supposed to put away the filthiness of the world. And instead, verse four, let there be thanksgiving. Now, At first glance, you might think, well, this is kind of an odd uh, contrast because you would think, okay, so if we're talking about putting away filthiness, putting away crude joking, you know, you might put in wisdom there or uh, sanctification. But the word he chooses is thanksgiving. And I think uh, if you give this a little bit of thought, it makes quite a bit of sense. In the same way that Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that thanksgiving is kind of the opposite of idolatry. That when they forgot to be thankful, then they, they led them down the path to idolatry. In the same way, when we fail to be thankful, we fail to think about God, to give him his proper due. And if we're constantly thinking about God and we're thinking about his ways, then that's going to trickle down in our life. But if we forget him and we forget to be thankful, then that is going to have symptoms in our life that result in impurity. And so for that reason, we need to be thankful if we hope to put away these kinds of uh, foolishness and crudeness and filthiness. Now, what exactly are we talking about in terms of crudeness and filthiness? Uh, Maybe a discussion for a different time because I can't exactly drill down here. But I think in general, we know it when we see it. And the things that we don't know when we see it are trained by our senses. And as we get more in the word, as we become more in contact with God, as we, as we'll see in a few verses, let the light of Christ shine on us, we'll begin to understand with more discretion what is filthy and what is pure, what is foolish and what is wise. And so for now, we'll just leave that and say, we want to put these filthy, foolish things away and put on thankfulness. We're supposed to, in verse 5, put away sexual immorality and covetousness because he who does these things has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Here again, we got to reference back to chapter one. Remember, uh, there are five things in the blueprint that God wants to give us. And the first is that he wants us to be uh, blameless and sanctified. But the last one is that he wants to give us an inheritance, uh, specifically an inheritance of the Holy Spirit. But we also have this this hope of our calling that we talked about uh, also in chapter four, that God has given us a hope of beyond this life, an inheritance that we want to obtain. And the way we obtain this inheritance, the way we get the inheritance that God wants to give us is by following him. It's by putting to death all of these earthly things and choosing to follow God. And he reminds them in verse six, this of something in chapter two, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, which you once were. In chapter two, we could talk about uh, how you, you know, were walking in the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. You were under his influence and among whom you once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says, there was a way you used to be. Don't be that way anymore. We're changing. We're being transformed. We're fitting the pattern, transforming the image of Christ, transforming into the image of that blueprint that he has made for us. We want to remember the pattern if we want to walk as children of light. But now we get to verse seven, and this takes us into a new section, but he tells us, therefore, do not become partakers with them because there are people out in the world and they're walking in darkness, they're walking in filthiness and foolishness, and they're not going to receive the inheritance, the inheritance that you want to receive because it's amazing, and the inheritance that God wants to give you because, again, it's amazing. If you want to obtain the inheritance, You can't be dissuaded from following God. You can't align yourself with these kinds of people. Therefore, he says, do not become partners with them. But then he keeps going in verses 7 through 14. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all things, uh, in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we've been harping on verse 7. Do not become partners with them. But then we get, we get, again, a reminder of our former manner of life. One, at one time, you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So that's the imperative for this next little section here. I don't know how we jump so much, but cool. Um, so we are to walk as children of light. We are to remember that we are light because we used to be darkness, but now we are light. And so... How do we do that? Paul tells us three ways that we are going to walk in the light. He tells us in verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, which kind of is a reference back to verse 9. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Well, how do we do that? Well, that's going to take study. It's going to take um, wisdom. It's going to take us having more interaction with Christ so that we begin to understand as we are filled with the Spirit what is good and what is not. And this goes back again. I said uh, 
we're going to know what's filthy and foolish when we see it. And the more we are filled with light, the more we begin to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And the better we're going to be able to make the distinguish, uh, or we're going to be able to distinguish between what is good and what is not, what is evil and what is good, what is foolish and filthy, and what is pure and wise. And so the first thing, the first way we're going to walk in the light is by trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. But that, that's not enough. That's not very clear. So then he tells us in verses 11 and 12, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So the second way we're going to be children of light and walk in the light is by exposing the darkness. This is curious because it's... When you think about darkness and light, these are total opposites. I mean, look at our house, for example, here. We've got a, a dark world out there, but a house that is full of light. And when you have a house full of, the, uh, full of light, it's pressing out the darkness. It's, it's pushing the darkness in the way. And that same thing happens with us as we are light in the world. Because we're not here just to avoid the darkness. We're here to expose it and to bring light to it. I want you to think about the way that Jesus interacted with uh, impure people. For example, Jesus touches lepers and dead people. But instead of the, their uncleanliness um, tainting him, he brings purity and life to them. And so when we read a verse like verse 7 that tells us to not become partners with them, it can seem like a very um, us versus the world, let's just cloister ourselves away and avoid the world. But I think that instead we should think about this like we think about Christ, that we are to be a light, to go out in the world and to shine light on other people, to expose deeds of darkness, and in so doing, to bring life to them. I think there are definitely passages in which uh, we're told to take more of, I don't want to say aggressive, but more aggressive stance of, of spreading the word, of, of telling people, you know, this is wrong and this is right. But I think actually this verse is calling us to a more of a passive way of living. That I hope that my relationship with my family or my relationship with my wife is positive and pure and that there are going to be people out in the world and they're going to have really sick tainted relationships with their family and uh, with their spouse and they're going to see the way that I treat my wife and they're going to say man there's something wrong here I need to do a better job that the way that we go out and spread the light of Christ is by letting people see the way that Christ transforms our life and letting that show them what goodness and what God intended for relationships and life to look like so that they can either choose to A, run away from the truth or respond to the light and become light themselves. And that is how this ends in verse 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light, Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I think this is the linchpin that this section has all been leading up to. That Christ shining on us is the way that we become light. It's very, Paul says something very similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That um, he talks about how Moses 
had the light of, of Christ shining in him until he became a light. And that what we look at is what we become. And so if we look at the light of Christ, then we will become like him. And so if having the light of Christ shining on us transforms us, then having the light shine off of us, you know, kind of like the moon, uh, we shine on other people and we give them the light of Christ and then we teach them about Christ and then Christ can shine on them and we can bring light to the world. We are light. And the more that God's light shines on us, the better light we are. We are light and the more Christ's light shines on us, the more we are able to discern what is good from what is evil. And so we are called then to walk as children of light to remember the pattern and also to remember that we are light. But then there's some few, a few verses that follow this that are kind of in the same strand, but we dropped the light imagery and now we're talking about spirit. Instead of being filled with light, we're being filled with the spirit, but we're talking about the same thing. So let's read verses 15 through 21. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks always and in and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I've split this into two sections. Verses 15 through 17 tell us that we need to be wise. And of course, we've seen wisdom before because we're shunning foolishness in verse 4. And so he calls us not to walk as unwise people, but to walk as wise. And this again goes back into uh, shunning foolishness. It goes into having discretion. We are called to be wise and to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. This idea of, um, of entropy, you know, that things break down over time. And if we are in a world of darkness, that the world of darkness is going to break us down if we don't make the best use of the time, if we don't choose to be wise, if we don't be on our guard. And he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Have that discretion that we were talking about in verse 10. Let the light of Christ shine on you so that you can have the wisdom that you need to understand how to take on this world of darkness because the days are evil and you need to be prepared. Be wise. But then he tells us in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. He says, you can be filled with one of two spirits, either alcoholic spirits or the Holy Spirit. And you need to pick the Holy Spirit because alcoholic spirits filling, being filled with wine, that is debauchery. You think about this, drunkenness is associated with all kinds of foolishness and, and failures. And when we choose that path, we are choosing the way of darkness. We are choosing the way of foolishness, choosing the impure and filthy path. But when we choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the same, as I said, being filled with the light of Christ, letting Christ shine on you, then you are transformed and you, are, you put away the foolishness, put away the evil, and you put on what is good. And when you're filled with the Spirit, then you're able, verse 19, to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So 
as we've been discussing all year long in our psalm study of letting my soul sing, that when you are filled with the Spirit, when you are filled with thanksgiving and uh, just meditating on who God is and what he means to you and how much you need him, that's going to pour forth from you in praise, in thanksgiving, in laments at times. But all of this is centered around being filled with God and the things of God and letting that pour out of you instead of being filled with drunkenness because that's going to cause a whole different kind of pouring out. So we are called to be filled with the Spirit. But finally, he ends this in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is an interesting verse because obviously it's a transition into the next section, which is going to talk about husbands and wives submitting to one another. But I think it also has reference within this section because we are called in verse one to be imitators of God as beloved children and to walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That what Christ did for us was motivated by love. He put our needs above his. And that is submission. Love is submission. We're also told in chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the bond of, uh, sorry, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Those are verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. That we need to have unity. We need to have peace. We need to be gentle and to be meek and patient so that our humility, our submission can help make this unity work. And so at the end of this section, we are called to be filled with submission. But again, this is just sort of the same thing that we've been talking about all along, that we need to choose other people. We need to choose love. We need to choose kindness. We need to choose to be unified together. And that's what's going to help us do it, to, be, to submit, to be filled with the spirit, to be wise, to be full of light, to follow the pattern. All of these things are kind of getting at the same thing, that we are need to be imitators of Christ and to take the light of Christ and share it with the world. But let me ask you then, why? Like, why do we need to be children of light other than that God wants us to be? Well, I think that is where this next section comes in, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And the answer is, we need to be children of light because we are at war with the darkness. That sounds very epic. And it is. Darkness is our foe. Darkness and the powers of darkness are trying to take down God and God's people. And they are gunning for you if you are a faithful servant of God, we talked about that in our first service, that if you are out of, you know, if you were part of the world, the world would love you. But since Jesus has chosen us out of the world, now the world hates us. The world wants to put, put they put Jesus to death because he was their enemy. The world is at odds with Christ and, he is at, and it is at odds with the light. And so we need to be light because we are at war with the darkness. Let's read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. I'm sure you know it well. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil 
in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the Lord, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is an amazing text. It gets you excited. You read it and you're like, man, I'm just ready to to go fight. But I want to tell you, this text is not new in the book of Ephesians. I mean, the thrust of the text is that we need to be grounded in the word and filled with the spirit so that we can withstand Satan's schemes. And we read something very similar to that in chapter four, where we are told that we are given uh, evangelists and shepherds and teachers, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro by the winds and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That what Paul is telling us here, that we are wrestling against the darkness, is the same thing that he was telling us earlier, that if you don't know the word, if you are not firmly rooted in the truth, and if you are not living out a spirit-filled life, transformed into the image of Christ, then you are not doing your part in the battle against sin and darkness. What he asks for them in verse 10 of chapter 6 is to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And you can see earlier in the book that Paul has prayed for them to have strength. He prayed for them to have strength in chapter 3, that they would be strengthened with all power through his spirit in their inner being. He also prayed that they would have knowledge and have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. That Paul has asked for them to have strength, asked for them to have depth, asked for them to have understanding before. So none of this is new, but Paul just puts this really amazing battle metaphor on it to help us see it in a different light. And uh, rightly so, because, I mean, every kid knows the the armor of God. And we, we, we talk about it because it's an amazing image. And it should inspire in us a confidence to go forth and a an urgency to take the word of God and put it in our lives. So we've uh, circled it from 3,000 feet. Let's, let's get in the weeds. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We see there's, the devil is, is our foe. He is trying to fight against us. And just like we need to be strong in order that we're not tossed to and fro by all the schemes, that we need to be strong and we need to be armored up so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. 
Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That our foe is not another man. It's not, you know, the president of China or whatever. It's spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And that's kind of difficult to put our fingers on. Uh, We're not told a whole lot about it. But what we do know is that we are at war with the darkness, but God is stronger. Jesus triumphed over the grave. He put death to death. And we know that we serve a God who is the most powerful. He wins in the end. So our goal is to be on God's side. And there are all kinds of spiritual forces that are aligned either because they're friendly or as a marriage of convenience to fight against us, to fight against God. And we need to be prepared for that because even though God is stronger than they are, they're formidable foes and we need to be prepared. And so in order to be prepared, we need to take on this armor. But I want you to notice about the armor that the armor is effectively, as we've already kind of discussed, but let me say more explicitly, the armor is just God's word and God's word lived out in our lives. It's truth. It's righteousness. It's faith. It's spreading the gospel. It's the word of God and how we handle the word of God. And so we are called then in verse 13 to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth, the truth that we have, the truth that unites us, chapter four, and also this truth that we have here revealed to us, the truth that God revealed to Paul and Paul revealed to the Gentiles this truth that we have. It unites us and it will be our defense. But we also need the breastplate of righteousness. That is the word of God lived out in our lives. We remember the blueprint that is a holy and blameless people. That is a reconciled people. That is, uh, you know, going later on in, in the book, walking in the light, walking according to the calling, letting the spirit fill you and transform your life walking uh, in the way that we ought to, that is righteousness. That is this breastplate that we need. And then we're told, verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes, of course, an appropriate image because we get Isaiah 52, that is uh, how blessed are the feet that that spread the gospel or spread the good news. Um, But also we see Paul, who was excited about the good news that he got to share. In in chapter 3, we talked about how It's like this mystery that's been hidden for ages. It's not like that. It it, it is the mystery that has been hidden for ages. And Paul, of all people, gets to be the guy who's who's revealing it to the Gentiles. And he's, he's so excited. And we need to be excited too because we have this amazing gospel to share. But guess what? It's scary. Again, we talked about it in in the first hour that as we're trying to spread the word of God, that it's going to be discouraging that we're going to meet opposition. And that's why Paul asks them in verse 18 to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel that we're going to need boldness. Paul needed boldness. We're all going to need boldness to take the gospel out because it's difficult. And that's why it's armor. So we get 
a belt, we get a breastplate, we get shoes, and then, verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That when we have faith in God, faith in the promises, faith in who he says he is, that these darts of the evil one, they can't touch us because we believe in God. And we, have, we have trust that he will get us through. But even more than faith and belief and trust, faith also has this idea of faithfulness, that we press on no matter what happens. And when we forget, we look at the insignia on our shield and we remember who we are fighting for and that we go forth boldly and with strength to fight against the evil one. We take the helmet of salvation, this being uh, the, the hope of our calling, what we have been rescued out of, which is death and darkness, and now to remember what we're headed toward, the light, the heaven, the home, the inheritance. And finally, we take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's an offensive weapon, but we already knew that because we talked about the light and how those who are light are going to be hated by the darkness, how the light exposes the darkness, how the light drives out the darkness, how the light in this home is shining out into the world. And it's a small home. It's a big world. But we have a light to push away the darkness, to fight against the darkness. And when we have the light, when we are on God's side, we can be victorious. And so we have this word from God, that we are to be children of light. We are to be filled with light. We are to walk according to light. And that means being filled with the spirit. It means walking according to the pattern. It is that we are to be what God has called us to be. And the reason is because we are at war with the darkness. And that Satan and his cronies are trying to fight against us, trying to fight against God, and they will not be victorious in the end. But they could take us if we are not properly prepared. And so we need to be prepared. We need to know the word of God. We need to be firmly rooted in it. We need to have it defending us. And we need to be living it. We need to be spreading the word. We need to be living with righteousness. All of these things are what we are called to be. And so we need to, as we press on into this world, be people who are filled with light and raging against the darkness. Let's pray about that and then we'll have an invitation. Our God, we are so thankful that you have chosen us out of this world to be your children. We are so thankful that you saw in us, even when we were dark and dead, the potential to be light. Help us to walk according to the pattern. Fill us with your light. Shine on us that we may be transformed into the image of your son. Help us to take up your word and to put it on as armor to protect us against the schemes of the evil one. Give us boldness to spread your truth and give us strength to fight against the powers of darkness in this present world. Help us to know that you will be and already are victorious and help us to fight with you to spread the light and to put darkness to death. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for your grace and your transformation in us. Help us to go forth and to be strong and faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you have chosen to be a Christian, but uh, your light has been hidden under a bushel or your salt has lost its saltiness, then 
we're here. We'd love to help you, to encourage you, to pray with you. Or if you've never put on Christ in baptism and let the light of, light, let, let the light of Christ shine on you, if you haven't begun your journey, if you're still in the realm of darkness, we would love to help you, to talk with you, to baptize you, whatever your need may be. Please come as we stand and sing.